Let's talk a little bit about shifting a patient who may have historically been on an SSRI or an opiate. I, I, forgive me, I always forget what the difference between those two is, but from a, let's call it a, a mainstream, what is considered to be a mainstream medication, and shifting them on to a plant-based therapy. What are the considerations uh, that are that you know you would likely have in in that shift? So, if someone is stable on their current pharmaceutical regimen and they're not experiencing any you know toxicity or anything like that, the first thing I would do would be to check and make sure that there's no significant interactions or. or um, contraindications by using those two two medica- medications in conjunction, and because cannabis ha- people have a variable response to cannabis, but also the specific products that someone chooses is going to determine whether a product is going to be effective for a patient. I would never change someone's conventional treatment before starting them on their cannabis medicine sort of regimen or plant, plant-based plant medicine sort of regimen. And sorry, just before you keep going, how are you che- checking for, let's call it drug-drug interactions? Is there something within your practice management software solution like MIMS or something you can use for that? Uh, look, I use a online sort of drug interaction checker from Medscape, um, but the main principle, so with with cannabis or the, the main cannabinoids, THC and CBD, they're metabolized by the cytochrome P450 enzymes, which are, which is a main sort of enzymes within the liver that process and metabolize lots of different drugs. But there's different isoforms or different subsets of, of, this, of these pathways. And w- what you want to do is you want to s- see whether that medication that you're prescribing, you know, in conjunction with the cannabinoids, it's metabolized through that pathway. And then if it is, you want to look at the specific medication and see whether if there was a shift, a minor shift within that sort of its own therapeutic window, whether that medication was going to be dangerous to the patient. So whether it was going to have its own toxic effects, if it went went too high, whether if it went too low, the the, the consequences were going to be you know catastrophic and someone was going to have a stroke or a heart attack if it went too low. And whether it's a potentially life-saving treatment and making it ineffective is going to be a problem. But in general, there's a lot of theoretical interactions with cannabis and conventional treatments, but those interactions only occur to any significant degree, whether it fits into that you know high-risk profile or whether someone is taking excessively, you know, excessively high doses of cannabinoids. So most of those interactions are theoretical, but if they're a high-risk high category, then I would really consider, you know, have to seriously consider whether, you know, adding cannabis in was going to be... And are there, and and there's no need to to list them, but are there a few compounds in particular that you're wary of or in in your cannabis prescribing have you not come across too many? Yeah, there there are. There are definitely some that we need to to consider. So one that's, you know, life-saving treatment that can become toxic if you use use it in combination with CBD, and that's tacrolimnus, which is what a lot of transplant patients will be on. Another one that's a more common common medication that can have catastrophic consequences as well is clopidogrel. So clopidogrel is an antiplatelet agent that stops the blood from becoming sticky and and clotting, and it needs to be converted to its active metabolite before before it works. And so CBD will reduce that conversion. And therefore, it becomes, you know, less less effective, 
And so if people have stents and these types of things in their heart and they're on clopidogrel to stop the clots from occurring, then it may not work and they might get clots and then have a have an MI. So that's going to be you know cat- catastrophic. There are certain medications where you you can have an increase of the 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 an active metabolite that can increase things like sedation. So um, clobazam is a is a medication that's used for treating treatment resistant epilepsy, high doses of CBD can increase the level of N-methylclobazam, which can lead to increased sedation um, and, and a few others. But there, but there are others out there, but checking your, having those principles of what will happen if the medication goes above or below where it's meant to be, is it going to be catastrophic? You know, should I seriously consider using cannabis in combination with this? Is it metabolized by the cytochrome P450? Is it, is, is it as easy to do it? drug drug interaction check for cbd and thc as it is for something which is a main i call it mainstream medication i don't know why we don't call cannabis a mainstream medication but a, a more kind of use word traditional can you because cannabis yeah. is probably more traditional than other medications but you know you get you know where i'm going is it harder to do this for cannabis and thc and cbd than it is for other drugs no no, so we, since since the you know the Epidiolex trials uh, and the Sativex trials, you know, so there's a couple of you know registered medications that are using cannabinoids that have got you know strong um, strong strong data, pharmacokinetic data, and and you know rigorous randomized control trial data. Um, we've got really good information on the the mechanism of action and how it could potentially influence other drugs. So the drug interaction check is a, a generally pretty, pretty good. But the thing with cannabis is that it is a complex herbal medicine. There's going to be other constituents within there that may be impacting things, but from the clinical relevance of interactions with cannabis is generally low unless you're getting to really high doses of cannabinoids. And that generally only occurs when you're using, you know, CBD, on its own because you often need to use such high doses to have an effective result. Right, and that's why you you, you reference CBD more than you did THC as being a possible drug-drug interaction just because of the higher doses required? Partly the higher doses and partly the specifics around the isoforms that it's either activating or inhibiting being um, more important subsets within that cytochrome P450 for the other medication you know other medication pathways so there's a, f- a few different things but the dose the dose is a significant one um, and you, you talk about patients who are doing well on a existing medication paradigm what yeah, about pre- those patients those patients who are coming in and they're not doing so well like do you do you kind of see a trend of patients coming in on a particular type of medication for a particular indication and and sort of get an instant feel that cannabis might be a you know a, a worthwhile um, treatment for them look generally everyone that's coming to see me is could could have an improvement in their symptom control otherwise they wouldn't be coming through my door so there there are people who are uh, on, on established you know treatment regimens and I would once again keep them on that treatment regimen until I was able to incorporate cannabis and titrate up the dose to an effective dose and then keep them on that for at least four to six weeks to stabilize that dose and to see the maximum benefit we're going to get from that particular set of cannabis-based therapies. And then at that stage, that's when I'd start down titrating those those other medications 
because if we try and change too many things at once, it's impossible to know what's a discontinuation symptom from that other medication, what's a potential side effect from the starting of the of the of the cannabis, and it's, it's, and I just use the baseline that someone presents with on the medications that they're already on as my as my baseline for whether the treatment's effective or not, and then by adding cannabis in as an adjunctive therapy and getting good results, we know that the two combined provide good results and then we can take that other medication away and we hope that they remain having good results but sometimes it's the combination of the products where the best results are had so someone might stay on both cannabis-based therapies and their conventional therapies someone might be able to drop down their conventional therapies to a more tolerable dose where they're not getting as many side effects and other people will come off them completely so it's it's very very individualized and dependent on the person I've heard yourself and David Gunn talk about um, working with patients who have an overly high dependence on cannabis and being able to bring them back down into a more manageable and healthy cannabis regime. So tell us a little bit about um, you know, what, what someone who walks in who might have been self-prescribing cannabis for many years, who's smoking, you know, I don't know, what, what's a... What's an out there sort of story about a, you know how much cannabis some people are smoking, and then what techniques do you use to get them back down into something which is a much more healthier um, regime? So a lot of people who have been self-medicating with with cannabis or just have an appreciation for the feelings that the cannabis might might provide them, you know, if they've been using it chronically without any breaks over time, they might be using three, four, five grams a day, and and put into perspective, that's fifty dollars a day. Yeah, more, more, which is more expensive. Than that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's, a, it's an expensive thing um, to to be doing. And the reason that occurs is because, as we mentioned earlier, your body sees intoxication not as the desired effect, but as a side effect. And you know, your body builds tolerance. Your your body builds tolerance to side effects from cannabis. You know, relatively quickly. And because there's a lack of guidance out there in, in the community, when people start using cannabis, they associate the intoxicating effects with the therapeutic effects that they're getting. So when they... If I'm not high, it's not working. If I'm not high, it's not working. And and so they haven't been taught to sort of check in with themselves, create a process of self-awareness to understand what's going on at a deeper level and the medical benefits they might be experiencing. So they <clears throat> keep using more and more to get the, to get the same results. And what is happening in the background is that their body's own endocannabinoid system is becoming dysregulated. It's saying, you know, we THC, which is the primary compound that people are using to self-medicate with, THC is quite similar in structure and function and binding affinity to those cannabinoid receptors as, as an andamide, one of the main you know, endocannabinoids. And so the body's going, wow, we've got way more, you know, anandamide-like compound than we know what to do with. So we're going to, you know, Go back inside. Go back inside the cell. So, so is that a bit? Is that a bit like, you know, you take too many vitamins once your body says, oh, "I've got enough vitamin D or B," you know, that's going to urinate the rest out. Is it? Is it? Is that what you're saying, or is it a different? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of it, the the issue with your, you know, your body being flooded in that way, and then you know, down regulating itself is that you lose the the capacity to adapt to stresses in a dynamic way as as they occur because the endocannabinoid system is a very precise mechanism that works you know where it's needed for as long as it's needed for as much as it's needed and then it switches switches itself off whereas THC 
you know, so even though the activity, so the affinity is similar, you know, THC and anandamide, the duration of action is significantly longer with THC than, than anandamide. And so it's not this constantly evolving and dynamic process. It's this blanket we've got. So it probably can't function properly if it's overwhelmed with cannabinoids. It doesn't yeah. know when there's a deficit and where to actually send send or put the attention to the cells that need it. Is that what That's you're saying? Exact, exactly right. So people, you know, might lose their capacity to deal to deal with to deal with change. You know, say so it might help them initially, and this is the thing it might help them initially in regards to managing those those symptoms because their body, you know, is really you know, the endocannabinoid system is really struggling. But then they get to a point where it's actually making it harder for them to adapt to changes as they occur and can make their anxiety pathways or depressive symptoms or insomnia, these types of things, you know, worse worse in the long run. So the main thing about trying to get people onto a healthier dose of cannabis is because that's what's needed to support their endocannabinoid system long term. So I think part of it comes down to recognizing and validating the reason why they started using cannabis in the first place and the results that they had initially when they started using cannabis because people generally you know be- become attracted to the plant because they felt so much better within themselves when they first started using it but then because of that lack of guidance mentorship or you know we we don't have a culture around you know plant plant medicines that teaches an appropriate sort of use of these of these compounds People are just taking it into their own hand, and we live in a consumer capitalist society where we where we're told that more means better and more is more effective, and it's just it's just not the case. So some, you know, most people who are coming to you who have this relationship with cannabis are really intrigued and interested by the plant as well. So high quality sort of education, taking the time to tell them what is actually going on internally, you know, makes makes a big difference. You know, you're not saying you can't use cannabis, you can't use THC. You're recognizing that, yes, this probably will be beneficial for you, but we need to use it in a different way. So the dose, you know, as they, as they say, the dose makes the poison. And it's very true with, with cannabis, even though it's a, you know, I won't say a poison because it's very mild and has no toxic effects, but you are not functioning at your optimum when you're using that much cannabis. And so you want to get them to use less and you want them to use it in a way that's, you know, looking at the medical benefits rather than equating intoxication to uh, uh, effectiveness. Not saying they can't use it for intoxication at times, but the, the more you do that, the more likely you are to build build that tolerance and disrupt your, your system. And then, you know, it's just a tolerance break, which, so one of the wonderful things about the endocannabinoid system is that it responds really quickly. When you take away all of those excessive cannabinoids, it reboots itself pretty quickly um, compared to other systems. And, you know, the withdrawal effects of coming off THC, even though they're not pleasant, you know, you can get agitation, irritability, digestive issues, you know, disruption in your sleep, recurrence of symptoms that the cannabis was treating. Even though that's not pleasant, it's not life-threatening or as bad as something like an opioid withdrawal from from a severity. And you can go through it for a period of time, and then you know, it, if you, it might only take three, four, you know, two, two to four days to have a decent reset. You know, a couple of weeks if you've been a chronic user to get a full reset, and then you have the opportunity to start at a at a lower dose. You know, that's more effective, so therefore it's more cost effective as well, and one that's not going to imp- impair those other changes. What what. I mean, maybe you can't put a number to it, but what percentage of patients 
use cannabis to overcome a condition as opposed to what percentage of patients would use cannabis ongoing, uh, you know, for potentially the rest of their life or significantly extended periods of time? I think there's a lot of people who are und- undiagnosed with, you know, conditions that they are you know, self-medicating. Um, there's not that many who are just just using it for the for the hell of it who don't see any benefit from from or any perceived benefit from its from its use um how how many how many have no valid medical reasons is that kind of what you're asking no it's really a case of do you find that people come to you let's give an example someone's had an injury and they're experiencing some pain from the injury that would seem to me to someone who might be a use it for a short period of time as opposed to someone, I don't know, I guess do you see patients once they start taking it, it's it's something that they will continue to get scripts for or do you find people sort of cycle in and cycle out of it or come in for a little while, use it, get some benefit, but then feel that they've, you know, feel better and don't need it anymore? Yeah, well, that makes that makes a bit more sense. So most in, in, in Australia, you know, cannabis is not meant to be prescribed for any acute condition so anything less than three months wouldn't be a valid reason for prescribing cannabis in the first place and i think it's really quite valid as well as that most acute conditions actually don't you know aren't that positively impacted by you know the use of uh cannabis it's the chronic symptoms because they're the ones that implicate a inherent sort of underlying change to the end so so you're saying that if some if you can't prescribe it for someone for one month. It's really for pres- for longer term chronic conditions. For longer term, longer term chronic conditions. So that's the first thing. So it needs to be a chronic condition. And then you know most chronic conditions, you know, in conventional thinking, it's about managing the symptoms longer term rather than treating the illness and helping that person heal. Right. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that with cannabis and with appropriate sort of you know functional goals, lifestyle changes, and other things to support the body's own endocannabinoid system people can see significant improvement in their in their health outcomes and so my hope always is to get people onto as few medications as possible and you know utilize the body's own in a pharmacy uh, for want of a better word to manage manage a lot of their symptoms and cannabis is no different i will be trying to get people off cannabis if i if i can and that but that requires a real active engagement in their in their therapy it's not something that just happens passively over time you can't just use cannabis and do nothing else and expect to be able to stop it at some point and for all the symptoms to you know magically disappeared you know once you stop the medication that's working the symptoms will come back but if you use it as an opportunity you use that symptom relief and that window of you know of opportunity that you get from from the the therapeutic effects from that medication and you you know start eating the right types of foods you do exercise you're having more social engagement you work on your sleep controlling the controllables you do it you do all that stuff and and you get your body's own system functioning well then yes you can come off you know kind of come off cannabis down down the track but what i do find is that once people you know know that they've got a medicine that works for them as well they can keep it there in their cupboard as part of their toolkit they lean on through times of increase of stress or when there's other external sort of factors that are putting pressure on their their physiology use it for a period of time and go back to not using it again once they get on get on top of those factors